It's great to be with you this morning. My name is Wilson. We are starting a new series that's going to last the whole season of Easter, just on one chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's all about the resurrection, longest extended meditation on the resurrection in the entire Bible. So we're going to start there today, if you'd like to turn there, 1 Corinthians 15. Jack Nicklaus, one of the most famous golfers of all time, there's a story about him that every off-season, and sometimes even during the middle of the season, he would go to his personal coach, a guy named Jack Grout, and he would say this to him, teach me to play golf. Teach me how to play golf. Every off-season, every time his game started to slip a little bit. And so his coach, also named Jack, would say, this is how you hold a golf club. This is how you swing a golf club. The basic uh, things, and that's about uh, as much as I can say about golf. <laughs> you see, the point is, there are a, there are a basic set of principles that Nicholas felt grounded the entire game of golf. And these things of first importance weren't things that he could ever move on from, so to speak. They needed regular attending to. They needed to remain sharp in his vision, or else his whole game would suffer. In the first verses of this chapter in 1 Corinthians, I think Paul is working under very similar assumptions. There are, he says, things of first importance in the Christian faith that he wants to remind his readers of. Now, after 14 chapters of Corinthians, where he has been walking through issue after messy issue with this church, Paul provides a bare-bones retelling of the central events of Jesus' life and says, this is what I first delivered to you as of first importance, and I'd remind you of it. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the announcement about good events. Now, if we lose sight of these things that Paul talks about, or if we misunderstand them, then our game will be off. We'll start thinking and doing weird things with our faith. We'll start imagining that faith can be welded to a political party, a mistake that has been the demise of the progressive church and the conservative evangelical church. Or we'll start imagining that faith is only about laying up security for what we as individuals will experience in life after death, and that that's kind of the whole story. And the fallout of that can be that we forget for days or weeks to pray, or we forget to even think about God for days or weeks because there's no real connection to Monday. There's no real connection to Monday through Friday. The list goes on. Stop attending to these basic things, and faith could turn into this moralistic thing, this therapeutic thing, a vaguely benevolent God giving us comfort while we try our best to uh, behave well. Remembering the beating heart of the gospel, the good tidings, helps us avoid all of that nonsense. And it instead reminds us that we are a new creation, living vigorously, not into this cold duty, but living into our destiny, which has begun now. We're going to spend the whole season of Easter unpacking this, talking about it, meditating on it, 
looking at this diamond of 1 Corinthians 15 from every which angle. And today, we start with the events of first importance. That Jesus died for our sins. He was buried, he was raised on the third day, and appeared to a lot of witnesses. Those are the events of central importance. And we're going to see two things today about those events. First, that Christianity stands or falls on the historic reality of these events. And second, that these events find their meaning only within a larger story. Okay? So Christianity stands or falls based on the historical reality of these things. And second, that these things, these events, find their meaning only within a larger story. So first, Christianity stands or falls on the historic reality, okay? Christianity is not, at the end of the day, a set of ideas. It is not a path of spirituality or a rule of life or a political agenda. It can include these things. It can give energy to these things. But at its heart, the good news is about an event that happened in the world. The earliest Christians insisted on this starting with the writings we have in the New Testament. They insisted that Jesus is Lord because of historical things that happened. So Paul does this in our passage. Verse 4, Christ was buried, he says. Every Christian confession, starting with this first little short one, includes that Christ was buried. To emphasize that it was a, a bodily death that he suffered and that that body was buried and that that body rose again. Jesus didn't swoon. He did not rest and recover after being tortured and, and kind of revive. It was a death. It was a real death with a real burial and a real resurrection. And then second, Paul makes all of these references to the risen bodily Jesus appearing to people. So first to Cephas, a.k.a. Peter, then the apostles, then 500 people in the Christian family, and then to James, Jesus' brother, then to the rest of the apostles, and then lastly, last of all, to Paul himself. Jesus appeared in person. And I think what Paul is trying to do here is emphasize the fact that there, there were just too many witnesses and too many different types of witnesses for this to be some sort of hallucination, or some sort of subjective experience of something spiritual going on. He appeared to this small group of people over here, and then this huge group of people over here, most of whom were still alive in Paul's day. The implication is, go and ask them what it was about. And then to this next group of people. And not to mention that the people he appealed to, appeared to, some of them loved Jesus, some of them were following him, Peter and the other apostles, some, pe- you know, some people may have really wanted this to be true, that Jesus w- could be back. But some people wanted nothing to do with Jesus and weren't following him. Paul, Jesus' own brother, James. It, it wasn't a, a trick of the mind from people who really wanted something to be true. The, the witnesses are just too varied for that to be likely. What Paul's saying is that Jesus suffered death in a body, was buried in a body, raised in a body, and that is a claim that is either to be rejected or received, but not really tampered with. And that's hard to do, hard not to tamper with that in some way, 
Because this is an incredible thing to believe. Aubrey highlighted this last week in his Easter sermon. These events are not something that we can ever reproduce and observe again. They happened in history a long time ago. And it's hard to believe. Paul acknowledges that. Earlier in this letter in Corinthians, he's talking about the cross specifically and says, there are all sorts of reasons why this is, why this is hard to accept. To the Greeks, the wise in the world, the fact that God would die on a cross to crush death and to cleanse from sin is foolishness. It's foolishness to the Greeks. And for the religious folks, the Jewish experts, that is a, the, the death of the Messiah on a cross is, is a shocking and honestly offensive culmination to their story. It's a stumbling block. It's just tough to swallow. It's difficult to believe. And so from the very, very beginning, it has been tempting to try and find easier ways to believe it. And from the very beginning, the, uh, the most popular way for this to become easier to believe is just to spiritualize it. De-emphasize the realness of it. De-emphasize the concreteness of what happened to Jesus. So one example is Paul. He's doing that in 1 Corinthians already. But then fast forward a few years to around 100 AD, there's a bishop named Ignatius who writes a letter to the church in Smyrna. And apparently people there were saying that Christ's sufferings were uh, merely apparent. It, it only appeared that he suffered or uh, it, it kind of seemed that he suffered, but he didn't really die on the cross. There's a, something spiritual kind of going on. And so we have Ignatius's letter. In his letter, he's emphasizing to this church, no, Christ died and Christ rose again. In the same way, it's still the same problem in the modern world to spiritualize it. Maybe the resurrection is an inspiring thing. It's, it's just a subjective kind of experience about the general power of love. But once we start talking about a body coming out of a grave, that's um, archaic. We can't, we can't really believe that. It's, it's much safer to believe a spiritualized version of this. But the reality is, either God himself and Jesus did something utterly unique and utterly life-changing for each individual person and utterly world-changing in dying and rising again, or he didn't. Um, uh, Flannery O'Connor famously said this about the Eucharist, about communion. She said she was at a cocktail party once and this was the subject of conversation like you do at your cocktail parties. <laughs> and she said somebody was saying something about the bread and wine and talking about how, you know, it's, it's just kind of a symbol. And she said, the only thing I contributed to that conversation, I think, was mumbling at some point, well, if it's just a symbol, then to hell with it. <laughs> She's awesome, if you've never read her before. Um, I kind of think it's the same thing with Jesus' life. If Jesus' life boils down to something that's uh, symbolic of kind of a general truth, something we can experience subjectively, then, then he didn't really cleanse me from my sin. Then he didn't really defeat death and evil. 
death still has an undefeated record. And it's still the most powerful power in the world. It means he didn't remake the world. And nobody is a new man. Nobody is a new creation walking around. But if he did really die, if he did really rise, then all of that is true. If the events are real, then death as a power has one loss on its record. And it's a big loss. And now the possibilities are endless because now it looks like the creator of the world is about the business of creating again. And that, that is very interesting. That's a very interesting thing to be a part of. And that impinges on each and every one of our lives. So that's first. The death and resurrection are real historical events and they form the beating heart of Christianity. But second, the second thing we see about these central events of Jesus is that they find their meaning, if you want to understand them, they find their meaning within a larger story. So if the events, the death and resurrection, if those things are the beating heart, like if we just use that metaphor, if you think of a heart, a heart only exists or, or has any life within a larger body, right? It only exists in the context of a body, and it gives life and vitality to the rest of the members in that body, Okay? In the same way, these events of first importance find their meaning. They exist within the larger body of Scripture. And they give life and vitality to that whole body of Scripture. This is why Paul says the phrase, in accordance with the Scriptures, twice in this quick little summary. Look at verse 3. Very easy to miss this. Christ died for our sins, what? in accordance with the scriptures. And then again in verse four, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. You know, we read this short passage from Hosea a second ago. It said this, come let us return to the Lord. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. There are some moments in scripture where things are, are freaky like that, that line up so well with the events uh, that we're talking about today. Psalm 22 is another example. It's almost crazy how close the description of suffering in Psalm 22 is of Jesus' crucifixion. There are places in Isaiah like that. The story of Jonah being in the fish three days and then you know, like resurrecting out of the fish to be a prophet. Those moments are like string lights that are along a pathway. They're like these bright things and they, and they shed some light on where you're going, and, and they're just wonderful and fascinating, but they're not the whole story. The whole pathway is what matters. When Paul says these things happen according to the scriptures, he's not saying there are a couple neat verses that are in the Old Testament that kind of tell you that this is what is going on with Jesus. What he's saying is that what happened to Jesus is the culmination of this entire story. It's the culmination of a story that has been long in the process and a story that was in search of an ending. This story was a path that was always leading to Jesus. And once you get there, you look back on the path and Jesus has shed all sorts of light on that path. This is a story of a God who made a good world, a world full of beauty and wonder and potential a place that he cherished. 
And what he cherished most of all was the crown jewel of his masterpiece, the only creatures worthy of the name children. And he gave them everything, the wind and the light and good food to eat and infinite opportunities to create and and make the place better and bring out its full potential and enjoy it more, all the while, day after day, in participating in the dance of joy and love that is God. That's the situation that God set up. And yet his creatures pulled the tablecloth from that table and all the beautiful things on the table came crashing down on their heads. They rebelled against him. They didn't listen. They went their own way to their own destruction and to the destruction of this world. And yet the story says that God did not abandon any of this. You see, the story is a story of a patient God, a loving God, a God who is infinitely creative and powerful. And this God goes about setting things right. And just like he put these creatures, these children of his, in charge of the original creation, so they will be instrumental in setting all of it right again. So he forms a special people. He creates a special people, a subset of all humanity who will bear his image and his blessing and his healing into the whole world. He chose this people. He freed them from oppression. He gave them his guidance. He gave them his presence. And now the whole big Bible, for the most part, is the story of that people. It is a long, dark, puzzling narrative that ends in a question mark. It's the story of the long failure of that people. The hope of the world becoming hopeless themselves, trapped in their sin. It is this big story that runs into a shocking surprise, but a surprise that unites the whole thing and crowns it. It is Christ, the word of God becoming flesh. Christ who died for our sins in accordance with this story and who rose on the third day in accordance with this story. The story is the key to understanding what was going on on the cross and what was going on with Jesus coming back from the dead. It it harmonizes with this story. It's not dissonant with it. It fulfills this story. It's not a, a random aberration. And it helps us understand what Jesus' death and resurrection can't mean. For example, it can't mean that it's, that it's only about taking us out of this place to a different place. It can't mean that God's main concern is a, a non-bodily existence in heaven, in a different place. It can't mean it's, it's just a, a personal, subjective kind of experience. Is it personal? Oh yeah, it's deeply personal, but within the context of a larger thing. It actually gives so much more meaning to the individual. There are so many, so many facets of this. It, it can't mean that justice is optional for the Christian. Because justice is in the grain of the world that God created from the very beginning. Justice was a key ingredient in the life of Israel, which we see in book after book after book of the Bible. And so that means that justice must have been key to Jesus' own mission. 
it must mean that justice is key to the mission that he gives his disciples. It must be that it's in the heart of what it means to be a Christian. It's not just an optional application. Same, same thing with beauty. Same thing with truth. The two beauty and truth are inseparable from each other. They're part of the grain of what it means that Jesus did and that what we are called to do. We're going to spend the rest of Easter exploring those themes and meditating on those things. But for now, all we want to emphasize is that when we get back to the basics, when we go to this short summary, they find their meaning within this larger story, and it actually opens it up to a much deeper place for us. And so I want to end with just a couple of words of like how this might apply to us, okay? First, if you're a Christian, I'd offer you the same encouragement that Paul gave to his readers when he was, when he was writing this, and it's this, hold fast to what you received. Hold fast to this. We will have to remember this story and hold fast to what it really is in our age, because this story is only going to become more and more strange. This story was not nearly as strange to your grandparents, no matter how old you are, or to your parents. This story was not as strange when I was growing up, which was not that long ago, okay? It is more strange now. That trajectory is going to continue. And with it will come immense pressure, both from the outside and from the inside, to find a quote-unquote easier way to believe it, to spiritualize Christianity, or to moralize it, to say that these were not real, we're not talking about flesh and blood bodies coming back from the dead, we're, we're talking about something else. Make it, make it private. Make it something that encourages, you know, just encourages me, but doesn't go past that. It's safe there, but it's not fully true there. Tim Keller once said that he would often talk with people, he's a pastor in New York, and so he had lots of conversations with people who were um, telling him that they were losing their faith, that they, were, that they were deconstructing. And he said, I would sit and I would do a lot of listening to their story. And often, towards the end, he would say, I, I, um, I just sense that I, I should ask this one question. So what, um, what made you believe that Jesus' resurrection really happened? And what made you stop believing it? And he said, often the person would sit for a second and then say, that's a good question. There's a way to sort of move away from what is central, right? There's a way to move from that, but what we've got to do is drill down to the basics again and and see what's there, because there's a lot of richness there. Deconstruction is hot today, right? It's a hot word. If you don't know that word, it's a hot word. It's often a good process, right? Often, often can be good, but if you find yourself in that spot of, of questioning your faith, it's a great, a great thing to do. Do it. But don't lose sight of Jesus. Go deeper. Seek a deeper understanding. Go back to trying to understand his death and resurrection according to the scriptures. Steep yourself in the story Because the story at at the same time will shed more light on what Jesus did and it will re-enchant the mystery for you. So I had a friend ask me last night, 
in all in your job of reading the Bible and studying the Bible very often, are the stories still as strange to you? And I said, yes, they are. They've gotten more strange. I understand the Bible better than I ever have in my life. And at the same time, there is more mystery and they're more wonderful than they've ever been to me. And the reason for that, I think, is because that's what God is like. The more we get to know him, the deeper he invites us in, oh, there's only more mystery and wonder there. And the Bible is God's word, so his word is the exact same way. So find a good mentor and start learning this story. Seek Jesus in the story and let that story tell you who he is and and what he was doing. It's wonderful. And then second, last application point, if you're not a Christian today, or if you wouldn't identify yourself as a Christian, you're just starting to investigate some of these things, thank you for being here. You do not have to be a Christian to be in this place. This isn't a club of people who uh, know the right answers, <laughs> right? This is a hospital. If you are, if you are not a Christian today, uh, one suggestion would be to start here. Start with these, the, con- the historical events of what happened to Jesus. There's so much written about these things. And so I'd encourage you to find the, uh, the very best arguments for it and against it and dig into it. And there are people here that can help you find those resources. So that's one. Start here. And then second, realize that Jesus is the fruit of a long, strange story that we've been talking about. And being a Christian means entering into that story. It's not so much inviting God into your story and then making the the necessary adjustments in your life. Oh, yeah, it's much stranger than that and much more interesting than that. It's recognizing that God is inviting you into his story, and that is what is really life-changing. Let's pray together.